Thank you for listening to The Great Northern Podcast. The Great Northern celebrates our cold, creative winters through 10 days of diverse programming that invigorate mind and body. In an era of changing climate that threatens our signature season, we seek to create community, inspire action, and share the resilient spirit of the North with the world. Jothsna Harris is a climate and cultural strategist and the principal consultant of Change Narrative, LLC. With nearly a decade of experience building capacity for the climate justice movement, Jothsna has designed and implemented award-winning climate change programs. She coaches people to find compelling narratives as an advocacy tool for solutions. For this episode, Jothsna paired up with Tabitha Montgomery, executive director of the Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association. Tabitha has crafted her climate story specifically for the Great Northern Podcast. Enjoy. So everyone, my name is Josna Harris and I'm joined by Tabitha Montgomery. And we're here today joining from Minnesota and the Twin Cities, which is on the sacred land of the Dakota and Anishinaabe people. And um, again, I'm Josna, I'm the founder of Change Narrative which is a consulting service dedicated to building capacity in the climate justice movement through the power of our stories. And I'm gonna pass it over to Tabitha. Thank you, Josna, and I'm Tabitha Montgomery, like uh, my dear new friend said, and I have the pleasure of serving a couple of nonprofits here in the Twin Cities. I'm currently the executive director of the Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association, which is really all about trying to help support and build community wellness. And I also am the interim managing director over at Mixed Blood Theater and have had been up until a few months ago, a long time serving board member. But I have a lot of passion for both organizations and I'm delighted to be here today. So I first met you, Tabitha, at the Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association Southside Summit, where I got to join you for a conversation about the power of climate storytelling. And I have was so honored to meet you through that experience, but really every conversation that we've had since then has been um, just a joy. Uh, I think you are one of those truly generous and kind people. And I'm super glad to be with you here today. And I'm really excited because in just a little bit, I know you are going to be able to share your personal climate story with us. I am so grateful to be with you, to have met you, to have been so moved um, from your climate narrative and your climate story at our second annual Southside Summit. I am um, looking forward to hearing your climate story today, Tabitha, but I thought it would be helpful if maybe I could give a little bit of background and context um, to the power of narrative, um, because we are in, we're really all living in this time of urgent climate crisis. And um, this summer in 2021, research showed that one in three people in our world directly felt the impacts of climate change in their lives in a personal way, whether through heat, wildfires, air quality, flooding, drought, or devastating storms. And the truth is that we are all connected to climate change and our lives and our livelihoods really give us all the credibility that we need to advocate for our shared future. But Historically, scientists, engineers, policymakers, which are needed and essential, they have actually shaped and dominated the narrative 
discussions and decision-making about climate change, which is problematic um, because we need counter-narratives outside of this frame to really shift how we think and talk about climate change. I've been working on climate change as my career for nearly a decade, and I have witnessed and really felt the transformative power of people's personal stories about climate change. And I realized that they actually are our most effective tools for advocating for just solutions, ambitious policy, and really a tool to shift our culture. Um, and I believe that it's essential, especially in this time, to expand the conversation and to center the voices and perspectives of everyday people with the lived experiences of climate change. So Tabitha, I know you and I recently got an opportunity to work together to help find your climate narrative. And I know you've prepared that um, to share with us today. So I'd love to just pass it over to you and let you have the floor. Again, I was so moved by the way that you framed your climate narrative and was really inspired. So grateful for this opportunity um, to be in space with you. Um, and thank you for all of the help that you gave me in thinking about what is it about space, the environment, climate, the world that I live in that resonates with me and that um, moves me to kind of share my story. So with that, I'll start by saying I drive by my house when I go home. And I think that's an odd thing to say, but that's how I feel. I live in Minnesota now, but when I go back to visit family and friends in Detroit where I grew up, I nearly always swing by the neighborhood, the block, the corner, the house where I lived, a black and white colonial on the west side. I haven't lived there in nearly three decades. And that sounds like a long, a lot of time, but when I swing by and I get out of the car, it's like I can hear my dad's voice telling me to stay off the grass. When I squint just a little, I can see the faces of old friends and those kids who live there now. And then I focus and mostly smile at all the memories I feel so grateful to have made living there. At an early age, I understood that the community outside my home was just as important as the community inside of my home. Some of my most vivid memories are of laughing, arguing, and joking with my three older sisters while my parents either laughed along or told us to knock it off. And other stuff that comes up for me when I think of that old house has a lot to do with how much living I did outside. I mean, back home, stepping outside of my door felt like Narnia, and not because life was perfect, as if, there, as if there's even such a thing, but because most days, regardless of weather, the front and backyards of my house saw as much traffic as a city park. Now that might be a stretch, but that's how it felt. Day by day, week by week, month by month, it was the starting line for big wheel races, six hour games of hide and go seek, campouts and cookouts, and simply hanging out until the street lights started to flicker. This helped me love my home, my community, and every moment I spent outside. Now, I worry a little, worry that the outdoor environment that gave me so much joy isn't the same for the folks who live there now or those who will live there down the road. Growing up, I wouldn't describe myself as having a deep understanding of our climate and environment, which is tr still true in many respects. But every inch of the outside of that home allowed me to breathe deep, find shade under our beech tree, and gave my mom a chance to pick not-so-sweet apricots from her favorite tree. 
and in every memory I can appreciate how happy and comfortable having a habitable place to live made me feel. As a child, I thought I ran faster when I took deep breaths. This was untethered to any factual data on air quality in the city, which considering the various manufacturing and steel plants, wastewater treatment site, uh, wastewater treatment sites and heavily trafficked highways that were in and around Detroit. It's likely my breaths weren't as deep as I believed, yet I never felt that I was struggling to breathe. No one had asthma that I can remember. I felt we could dream deeply. We were safe and beloved. Given the climate crisis today, I know the air quality and pollution in the area is very is a very real threat to the current and future memories that folks will make in the neighborhood I love, which is true in most neighborhoods now. Sometimes the only way we talk and think about the environment is very academic, but there's a way to think about where we take up space and exist in the world as essential to how we take care of the world. For my mom, she was committed to taking care of an old apricot tree in our yard. It wasn't what I recall in hindsight as healthy. It wasn't a healthy tree. In fact, the tree didn't do quite so well and the fruit wasn't always sweet. My dad wanted so badly to cut the tree down, but my mother refused. And she took protecting that tree personally, saying, you are not going to cut my tree down. She saw the value in that tree as a living being worth defending. My mother modeled that there was something greater than us and that it was important to care about things beyond ourselves. Now, I realize that some of my most vivid and important memories are almost are also marred by what I didn't know or quite understand about the effects of helping cultivate an unhealthy environment. It can be tempting, easy in fact, not to see what role I played in helping to harm the environment in which my oasis existed. But the intersections are undeniable. My family's livelihood depended on my dad's 36 years of service within the automotive manufacturing industry. And although he spent most of his career working in a plant outside of Detroit, and although there are a variety of factors that contribute to pollutants, poor air quality, and negative impacts on ecological and environmental systems, vehicle manufacturing and the transportation sector was and is overdue for furthering innovation beyond electric vehicles, including how we center and incentivize forms of emission-free mobility, walking, biking, running, and even, and even jumping on a big enough big wheel. The idea of being on an adult-sized big wheel makes me smile almost as much as my memories of the one I used to ride in my neighborhood, on that block, on that corner, where the first house I call home still stands. I also remember moving into my house in Minneapolis almost 15 years ago now. One of the things I've noticed while being in this home is how climate change is having various effects on weather and how I mark some of these changes by my memories of being in this place. For example, it seemed this past December we had a series of unseasonably warm days in the Twin Cities. I don't recall it ever being near or above 60 degrees in December in Minnesota. I could tell folks were enjoying it by comments they made and by the fact that more people seem to be out and about, but it also felt ominous. Also in prior summers, I can remember my basement would take on some water due to heavy rains, but in the past few years, this wasn't the case. And this summer, we had the longest drought ever recorded in Minnesota history. I realize facts and figures only go so far, but I've begun to really think about and feel the climate changes happening around me, my home, and in truth, the world. There is simply no question 
that we have a lot of work ahead to build our adaptive muscles to live differently so our climate and ourselves survive. I believe our climate crisis has been evolving over decades. There have been signals along the way, and the current pandemic continues to bring impediments to community health more into focus. And it seems that the heinous murder of George Floyd was a tipping point that continues to make people think about the intersections of racism, health disparities, housing instability, economic inequality, and the need to further climate justice on a local and global level. For our communities to advance climate justice, we must acknowledge that negative health impacts, air pollution, lung capacity, asthma, tend to have a disproportionate effect on communities where a range of disparities already exist. Our ability to cultivate more equitable processes and policies will require significant change. I believe there is a role that we can each play. What we consume, how we show up, how we build our relationship with the environment and each other. The livability of our neighborhoods matter. Systems of safety and mutual aid, access to long-term support for mental illness and addiction recovery, these things and so much more matter. One of my dreams for our communities is that we can embrace having less so others can have enough. I have not experienced a lot of places around the world. I've not experienced a lot of different typographies and landscapes, but I know that every ounce of our ecosystem matters. In Detroit, where that apricot tree took hold, that place mattered too. Sometimes we move too quickly. We focus on convenience and not impact. Entire species are going dormant or extinct and other climate impacts that seemed only possible in the movies don't seem so far-fetched. At this point, what I think most about my climate story is that climate matters and it needs our help and we certainly need it to be well. Wow, Tabitha, I am so honored and humbled to be able to hear your story in real time and to have um, gotten to know you better through it. I think what it reminds me of is that our human experience of climate change is just as dynamic as our identities. And when we tell the stories in such a heartfelt and compelling way, it um, it has the ability to move us in ways that uh, we can't be moved with facts and figures alone. Um, I love the way that you so vividly paint the picture of the memory of your beloved home, your childhood home, and where you grew up in Detroit. And I, when you talk about uh, the joy of community and the sights and sounds and the laughter and the big wheel races and um, what that was like, I can imagine it. And I think. Um, that's part of your mastery, being a storyteller, kind of drawing people into that. I also think it's a really unique story of climate change that is often not told that the memory of place that is also being impacted by the changes to our climate, the changes to our environment, what we're losing is often overlooked um, because we focus on these really, um, you know, glaring things that are in our faces, but the memories that we hold that are tied to special and beloved places is just as valid as that. Absolutely. I think sometimes what 
narrative kind of takes over in terms of what makes a person lose their neighborhood, right? Like what pushes a person out is often relegated to this idea of inequitable development or dare I say greed and displacement, um, which has taken on the, the identity of gentrification. And we struggle to imagine what happens when the climate pushes us out and not a for-profit developer. What then? You know, those are very real concerns. I mean, I tell you my part of what you helped me to capture and to think about was truly a reflection of how deeply connected I felt to a block, like a street. Um, and it was certainly a reflection of the people and the joy that they brought to my life. But it was also because I still know the edges and the crevices of that house on Prest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, that is so true. And I can think about that for me too. It, even though I have never been to that place that you are describing with such love, I have places like that too. And it reminds me of those experiences for me. Well, I want to thank you, Tabitha, for just being here with me today and taking time. And I, I'd love to ask you, how do you think you'll continue to talk about climate change, maybe use your story um, as a tool to advocate for things? You know, I'm going to I think one of the things, the tricks that you've taught me in terms of narrative building and shaping is to think about what's what I love and what's important to me in the world, in my environment and not be afraid of the loss, but to be able to speak to what the loss will mean to me. See, I, I'm not afraid of the trajectory we are on because we've done it to ourselves and it's time for us to be accountable, which is what I'm saying about embracing less. And it's not about trying to get back to what we had in the good old days, but it is about saying, hey, I have some very clear memories of what mattered. And I understand that my work is to believe that there is going to be a new generation and our current generation who needs to figure out and work together to embrace less of what we currently believe is important. Absolutely. I am with you on that. Well, Tabitha, thank you so much for being here with me. I'm so grateful for your time and for your reflections on climate change, and I hope we can continue to work together. Likewise, Jotna, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. For a full schedule of events or to make a donation to the Great Northern, visit our website at www.thegreatnorthernfestival.com. Your contribution will allow the Great Northern to continue seeking new perspectives on the elements that make this region unique, while highlighting what we stand to lose if our climate continues to warm. Support for the Great Northern is generously provided by sponsors including the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, McKnight Foundation, Askov Finlayson, Minneapolis Foundation, Spotify, Arts Midwest, Greater MSP, Excel Energy, Fat Tire Beer, Polestar Minneapolis, City of St. Paul Cultural Star Program, Carlson Family Foundation, M.A. Mortensen Company, Vikra Distillery, 
Sand Valley, Deed, Meet Minneapolis, Faribault Woolen Mill Company, Minneapolis Club, Renaissance Minneapolis Hotel, The Depot, Minnesota Public Radio, Sahan Journal, Caribou Coffee, Quebec Government Office in Chicago, Quincy Hall Crave Catering, REI Co-op, Villa Albertine, the French Consulate, GIST, and the St. Paul Hotel, along with community partners and individual donors.